Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Array of Solutions podcast. Today, we are celebrating Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I am Scott Bryan, Director of Cybersecurity here at Array of Solutions, along with Mike Pikarski and Keith Wood. Um, thank you for joining us today. And uh, you know, today we're here, we're in person, we were just talking about that. Um, first podcast we've done in the same room together. Uh, nice to see you guys in person. How's Good it going? to be with you. So I think this is maybe the, I'm not exactly sure, I think it's the third or fourth year that at least that I can recall there being a specific you know, cybersecurity awareness month um, campaign. What do you guys think of when you hear the words or the, the term cybersecurity awareness month? Like, um, yeah, I mean, just hearing cybersecurity awareness makes me think of like all the awareness training, but <laughs> um, <clears throat> the awareness month, you know, I think, kind of the key thing is that um, people are always trying to get something from you, whether it's personally or the company you work for or looking at you at your role. So um, taking that into account, right? There's always threats. Everybody knows like walking through a dark alley, you should kind of be on guard, but um, the internet has its own dark alley element to it too. Um, it's just, it comes in in the same things that we use to perform business. So just understanding that there are threats out there, the types of them, um, and then understanding what they could be after uh, through you, right? Like, uh, do you access customer information? Uh, uh, you, you may be an elevated target um, in your organization. What about you, Keith? What do so you think about? For me, I as uh, from from a cyber leadership perspective, it's it's really a time for uh, folks to to rethink the programs, renew um, interest and effort into the controls and and um, processes you have in place, and validate um, your program that you have in place. Is it still effective? The changes throughout the year, you know, have how have they affected you know current controls or future controls? strategy going forward those those um, areas uh, another another thing that it makes me think of is asset management you know how, how good is your asset management um, you know just uh, and then on top of that is you know your awareness program as a whole for your organization you know is, is it still effective is there newer content um, that you should be um, providing to your users so that you know it, it talks about latest threats and and uh, relevant information for the for the current times yeah, I mean, when when I um, I think about the the progression that we've seen in in even what we're talking about um, from an awareness perspective, like Mike, you said, you think about all the awareness training. Uh, you know, when when we first were advocating for organizations to do cybersecurity awareness training and and uh, and, and teach their their um, employees, you know, at the risks of cybersecurity uh, vulnerabilities, et cetera. Um, there was an effort even to just really get people to understand that there, there was a legitimate risk, right? That there was a legitimate vulnerability. Uh, I remember one client, um, the first year uh, that we that the Awareness Month was declared, we um, went to an employee uh, seminar that they were holding and de did a password cracking demo. And this was, this was probably 2016 and uh, the the impact that it had on these uh, on these people when they saw how simple it was right. to crack their passwords we would ask them to type in a password 
Um, they got a random user ID associated with that password to come back three minutes later to retell them what their password was. Right. Uh, and they realized, wow, okay, they thought their they thought their favorite baseball team with the year of their son's birth was a strong password. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and they found out quickly that it wasn't. Um, and then we build on that. Okay, so now we understand passwords themselves, right, are, are, are typical locking mechanisms are themselves vulnerable. So what do we need to be aware of now? Okay, well, we need to be aware of the fact that, like you were saying, Mike, um, you can get tricked into using, you know, um, leveraging that vulnerability of, of yourself, right, to provide access or um, give access to uh, some other individual or, or a threat actor, you know, which really kind of leads into what CISA um, is talking mm -hmm. about this month. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know their um, their theme for the month is see yourself in cyber. That's their, their theme in 2022. And uh, you know the point there is kind of like what Mike was talking touching on is you know the different roles in um, that we all play in our lives. Right? I'm a father. I'm a consultant. Um, uh, you know a lot of other things. Right? I'm a husband. I'm, I'm a son, son. Right? I'm a son. I'm a grandson. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm an uncle. I'm a brother. Um, and for all of those, uh, in all those roles, I, I have a place um, in uh, my cybersecurity awareness matters, right? Right. Uh, for whatever reason, depending on like, you know, like Mike was saying, maybe my my brother-in-law has sensitive information that mm -hmm. he has access to in his job, or what whatever that might be, right? Um, understanding the way that uh, that cyber vulnerabilities can can really be leveraged against us. And that's unknown to us. And I think that's part of the theme. So with that, I mean, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit in advance, but, you know, what do you think, um, like a typical, what, what should a typical user, for instance, in an organization, you know, think of when they think of see yourself in cyber, you know, they go through the training, they have password policies, um, but, you know, kind of leaning on like that topic that you touched on, like what, what are the things that you've seen out there from a threat perspective that, that uh, your typical users are kind of getting hit by today? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think um, one of the main things is uh, a lot of the policies and procedures uh, exist for a reason, but they, when they're put together, they solve a problem uh, to compartmentalize information, keep things where they need to go, whatever. But then when it ends up being the user that's supposed to be following it, sometimes that's a little more cumbersome to do. So shortcuts are taken. Mm -hmm. um, so, so can I interject yeah. there? The shortcuts are taken because they're just trying to get their job done right. efficiently. Yes. It's, yeah. it's you know, the, the, the old adage of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. These are all good intentions. The net effect of it is... Goes so against the side. I would kind of turn it, almost turn it on the question on its head, and, and say, if you are writing the policies, are you asking the users mm -hmm. what? How are they interacting with them? Mm -hmm. If you have to use three users uh, to promote uh, privilege every time you have to perform a task and jump through three different jump boxes and tag and move information around just to make a report, and you have to do that five times a day, chances are those users aren't going to do it. Um, but there may be a, a product or some sort of solution to streamline that and still um, achieve the same policy goal. Uh, so I think it, you know, for the user's uh, voice when things are a little more cumbersome and they uh, slow down what your job function is, 
uh, and for the uh, governance or leadership, um, be in communication with them and find out, hey, where are the pain points? Why are, why, where are the areas these policies are not necessarily being followed? Um, and what can we do to remedy them? Yeah, that, that's a really great point. Um, Keith and I have had a few conversations recently with about DLP, right, mm -hmm. for, for clients. And this is a conversation I, I have regularly, whether it's directly with, with work-related clients or, or outside, just because it's a constant um, conversation. And, and typically, right, the, the question comes down from the board or from the risk advisors that you don't have a DLP program in place. That's, that's the statement. Um, and then IT takes that and interprets it mm -hmm. however they want to interpret that, right? Um, usually, so, usually the interpretation is we can get a product that will solve this problem. Right. Um, yeah, so pulling on that thread, like, what is, you know, I, I, Mike, your point's great. I think, and I, I maybe to summarize that, I think what you're saying is users' role is speaking up in their organization um, and not uh, and being conscious to not flag something as um, the security policy is making my job hard. Right, and I think I right. think one of the notes to those users when they are speaking up is put yourself in the shoes of the person you're speaking up to. Right, it's it doesn't help you to just complain and say this doesn't work. Like explain to the your audience uh, where the keeping in mind where their incentives are. Hey. Uh, this is more cumbersome, this is costing us more time, and come with some proposed remedies. I found this product where I think we could alleviate and still maintain the same goal by altering the process to do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. um, just coming with complaints is not necessarily going to, uh, to, to help anything. I would also add that the policymakers are equally culpable in reaching out to the user community mm -hmm. to find, yeah. to, and, and ultimately it's a negotiation between what the controls need to be versus what works for the user community. At a certain point, you may need to accept some level of risk. Right. Find out, find mitigating controls to cover as much of that risk as possible without completely negatively affecting business process yeah. to achieve compliance. Well, yeah. I, I think the enemy to that is, excuse me, is, um, is light switch uh, cutovers, right? Or implementations rather, mm -hmm. right? So this concept of, all right, I need to implement DLP for it, for, you know, to keep that thread going. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that, that mean? So we have a policy that we need DLP that needs to be implemented. Okay. So then we implement it and immediately we've lost track of the fact that 50% of our staff transmit sensitive data in Excel files and the business can't operate because it's we, their job started it's their business right. process because we implement the dlp yes right so um where uh, where i think the two things come together to your point keith is that you know the policymakers have culpability in reaching out to the user community um the it leaders have culpability to integrate with the security teams and come up with manageable implementation plans and mm -hmm. and uh and rollouts that that have success um criteria established with them so you know, one of the things that we, we try to push there is if we're, we'll keep pulling the DLP thread, right? If you're trying to protect specific sensitive data, then let's flag that data and put our controls in place for that specific data. And then we can get an understanding of how that's flowing throughout, in and out of our environment and through it mm -hmm. without impacting the entire data set 
of the flag through our, you know, it's going through our organization. Right, similar to how we talk about, uh, we've been over the process of rolling out IDS, IDS, right? Let's start exactly. with IDS. Let's figure out, oh, right. let's detect where the data is. I mean, it's a part of that, the, the other piece here, and I think it goes to Keith's, they're both tied together here, is uh, data mapping, data classification, uh, and asset management, right? If you, if you just let the IT team roll out a DLP product and start blocking, you don't necessarily know what assets are tied into where the data is going, how do you handle OneDrive data versus SharePoint data versus some file share three people in the organization know exist? Internal communications versus <laughs> external communications, right? Um, so you can sit, soak that in and learn about the behavior before you start implementing the policy. But I think all of them, uh, I think, you know, in this kind of um, see yourself in cyber. Yeah, and, and looking back of the past 15 years I've been involved, uh, I think we've gotten better, but one of these areas that are a common thread here is the user experience. Mm -hmm. is, is We're really good at doing that in development, but we're not as good at doing that in security. I think we're getting better. Obviously, uh, anytime people heard security guy, they, they thought of that as the no person, the mm -hmm. person that is acts like they know more than you and they just tell you no about everything. I think we've gotten better culturally around that, but I still think that one of our uh, areas that we're butting heads is on user experience. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that that will change. So do you feel if, if there is more drive towards understanding user experience, we'll get a better adoption rate? of security practice yeah, at that user level. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, the, the, for, you know, you hear the term frictionless security, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the utopian goal where um, the user is, is maybe unaware or, or barely affected by the security controls, you know, um, over their experience. But I think that, you know, that leads us into the second, one of the other roles that we were talking about and, and see yourself in cyber and that, that's the industry professional. Right, mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is a cybersecurity industry professional. Um, you know, we were uh, this month. Uh, I mean, back in August, rather, out in, in Black Hat um, and DefCon, we were around around twenty five thousand, you know, industry professionals um, or, uh, or or soon to be professionals. And um, one of the themes I, I, I saw this year, which I think was nice and fresh and new in in our industry, is. Um, really along the lines that you were just talking about, Mike, right? How we interact with our user community, how we, how we see the user community and, um, and the, the steam of harm reduction, uh, really it, it kind of took over for me in, in, in the conference because we're this idea that, you know, preventative, um, the preventative days of security are, are kind of behind us, right? We've let go of this capability to stop, uh, things. So now we are, we're really in, into the proactive approach, right? What can we do um, in advance to to uh, to get ahead of the threats? Um, and, and part of that is harm reduction, um, you know, risk mitigation strategies, right? So rather than saying we're never going to let ransomware, for instance, get into this environment, um, you know, that's obviously a goal, uh, and you put a lot of controls in place to avoid that. But you also need to have controls and, or, or mechanisms in place that mitigate the impact of that ransomware if it were to get in. Um, and that I think goes across the board. You know, there was a speaker that made a great point. 
he said, you know, look, everyone tells me to not use TikTok. Um, he said, but TikTok got me through my chemotherapy. He's like, so I'm going to be using TikTok. He said, so how about talk to me about how to protect myself uh, if I'm using TikTok, if there's a risk. And I think that, you know, that really struck a chord with me because, um, you know, we talked about your roles, right? As a, as a father, as a son, like I have a lot of people in my life that I give advice to that don't always follow it, right? And that's just the reality of the world we live in. Um, and the ones that I love that I care about, I accept that and I, and I, and I, you know, catch them or, or help them, um, uh, recover, right. From, from mistakes that they might make. And I think that as industry professionals, I, I do think that's a big, uh, leap that we need to make, you know, th this idea that someone got hacked cause they deserved it or that they, you know, this, this Darwinist <laughs> approach to cybersecurity, uh, I think is dead. Um, and I think it's our job as industry professionals to put the nail in that coffin. Or an approach of, I told you so, you know, yeah. that never works. It should be, oh, that happened, that's that's a shame. How about, you know, in the future, you're still gonna, you know, watch TikTok, but maybe maybe you do your banking on a separate device, you know, so that so that we're not mixing both of those worlds. You know, a, a softer approach, I think, to, to correcting the behavior as opposed to, yeah. you know, slap on the wrist. I mean, type. it makes, it's not necessarily security related, but it makes me think of um, when I first was a network engineer, I ran a, I ran a command that took down a data center. <laughs> uh, long story short, I crashed a data center and uh, you know, 2000 hosts were offline. It was a problem. Um, and when I called my boss at the time, um, you know, he could have said, a hundred different things to me, all of which would have been justified. I was only a network engineer officially for like a week at this time, so I was terrified. I had imposter syndrome. Um, I was very nervous to even be performing the work. I ran the wrong command. I called a guy and he was like, look man, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Today's when. <laughs> uh, but I'll get back. Yeah, he was like, now you learned never to run that command. Uh, get back on the horse and tomorrow will be a new day. And I was like, uh, blown away that that could have been. I, I knew, I was certain that that was not what he was going to say, you know? When I made that call, yep. I knew I was getting fired. And um, I think that's kind of the, the same thing. Have some empathy when dealing with these users. Um, the same thing. It, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. This is going to happen to everybody. Some sort of breach, some sort of screw up. You're going to get fished at some point. It doesn't matter. Well, um, so how do you how do you deal with that? How do you cope with it? And what do you do with your users when it happens? Well, I, I want to pull on that thread too for a minute, just because I think a point that you that to take out of that is you called and gave an honest account of what mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. And that experience you had as a result of that honest feedback shaped how you approached your career moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's a major that's 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 yeah. huge though because yep. you know especially <laughs> having worked breaches and and incident response uh, situations there is nothing more infuriating than interviewing a terrified user who right. is responsible for making a bad mistake they're in the they're having the worst day of their life yes they are and they are afraid of their of their their, their livelihood being yep. taken away from them and. The, the last thing that you need from that person is more um, subterfuge and, um, and, and denial, right? And, uh, and unfortunately, it, it's, it, I think it's happening less, but you know, it was pretty standard for 
a period of time, at least in my experience with, with breaches and incidents. Um, and I, I think that goes into, you know, again, that theme of industry professionals, like we need to be open-minded, listen to what our people are telling us and, and hear through the facts, right? Because um, there's always information. There. Yeah, I, I think I think there was a uh, not too uh, long ago where uh, a user, if they got owned, where they were the reason, they were assuming they were getting fired, mm -hmm. um, and that may, that probably still exists in a number of organizations. So um, I know that we dealt with an incident when I first started here at Araya. Within the first couple of months, there was a, a an incident uh, at one of our clients, and through that investigation we found out that there was a user that was kind of less than forthcoming with uh with what their role in it is and i don't i i think that that's an important thing to point out is how do we make these users sh uh assured that the honesty is the best approach here um you're not going to be in more trouble because it was uh you that they went to they're targeting everybody they're going to get in um Right. right. And, and honestly, a phishing attack, if it's done right, any one of us could fall for sure. it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, we, we all learn to look for, you know, the key indicators of, of something not being right. And honestly, at the end of the day, if you're good and you want to get in someplace, there aren't going to be any flags. There aren't going to be any markers. We, we can all pr fall prey to it. So to hold someone accountable for their actions in a negative fashion because... You know, they fell for something that they're not a professional at. You know, I, I, it's yeah, I, I mean, one of the techniques um, that is, is being exploited now, we've talked about this, is the dream job scenario. And this is a really good way to, to isolate employees from being honest with their employers about what happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Here's an extra hundred yeah, grand right. for to do the same job for less hours. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, people, you know, <laughs> and what we're talking about is, uh, you know, a, a sophisticated campaigns run by the North Korean um, Lazarus group and, and Iranian um, groups to uh, target specific technical professionals with dream job offers um, that uh, once taken down the you know job um, interviewing process, you're, you're given an offer letter that is um, filled with very sophisticated malware. Uh, that's not typically detected. Um, you know, the I think that resulted in what was that six hundred and fifty million dollar crypto heist. Yeah, <laughs> was the I mean, was the big one. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway, I digress. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, of value to being open uh, to, to creating a scenario. Is I guess the point, right? And it, as industry professionals, making sure that our, our clients and organizations have open door policies with, with their users when it comes to technical information, because it's critical. And it's something that, you know, this, this, this latest one with the job offer, one that, that's scary, because how many employees are gonna come and say, hey, uh, I think I opened a <laughs> malicious <Right>. file. <laughs> that was a job offer. Right, um, I was seriously considering leaving yeah. for this great job. Right. <laughs> yeah, Keith told me he got one of those yesterday. Yeah. As the interview later today. Wouldn't you like to make a difference? In the, wouldn't you like to make a difference in the world? That's how they start. They like they uh, yeah. No. Um, yeah. So uh, that's a another part of, of of this theme. I think is um, incentivizing success. Uh, in, 
rewarding instead of punishing, right? Uh, so when we're, we're talking about following procedures or uh, or watching alerts for DLP or performing the security awareness training, being relatively compliant, uh, putting rewards out there for, for the, you know, this many days without an injury on the work site type deal. Um, you could use those same types of incentives really idea. Yeah. Um, instead of punishing the people that aren't, uh, you know, compliant. Yep. Cool. Um, so moving on, I think we touched on, you know, some of the, the different roles, seeing yourself in cyber. Um, one of the other topics that uh, we have cited here to address is, is um, you know, the, the era, the, the changes in, in the, I always say, I feel like I'm always talking like a Kennedy when I say era, like era, era. Um, when the, the era of cybersecurity, we, we uh, you know, moving from um, reactive to uh, proactive. proactive, right? And we were talking about, you know, how proactive security uh, measures are, are really being adopted. Um, there's obviously still reactive places and parts, you know, for reactive security um, events, but or security measures, but proactive security is really helping, right? And, and we're really seeing it make an impact uh, in a lot of ways. And I think, and we haven't been shy about this on these podcasts or anywhere else, but um, I see that really becoming as a result of the, of the insurance industry finally mm-hmm. getting out of the way. Uh, that said, um, you know. Keith, from a proactive security perspective, uh, where do you think, what technologies, you know, or specifically, or like technologies maybe not the right word, but what proactive measures um, do you think are, the mo- are being the most adopted right now that are having the most effect? The most adopted? Uh, MFA. Um, you know, honestly, cyber insurance is it's their number one required uh, element for um, underwriting policies. but. Um, you know, MFA as well as, um, you know, more in-depth uh, due diligence on the security program at organizations. So, you know, I, I think the, the, the cause and effect there is when we get these questionnaires in and we start reading them and, you know, it's, we all know what our program is, what we do well, what we may not do so well, where we have gaps. Now it's kind of a, you know, it's, we got to bear it all now, and, and you know we're being judged on that. So it's 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 having an effect of driving more conversations and more implementation of of, of governance and and controls in an environment. MFA is the biggest one, but there's also secure backups. There is um, I'm trying to think of of other ones. It's secure backups and MFA are really the biggest ones because ransomware is the you know, the number one, one culprit for driving um, insurance claims at this point. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's these, these questionnaires from the, from the insurance industry that's really driving a, a proactive approach to start implementing controls in your environment so that um, should an attack happen, when an attack happens, you know, you're better positioned to protect your environment. Yeah, I mean, I think also we touched on too, but even just awareness, right? Yeah. Cybersecurity, cybersecurity yep. awareness training, just um, another one of the top questions right. on there. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Mike? Any thoughts about proactive security and specifically what? Um, yeah, so the MFA is definitely uh, probably one of the number one things that's preventing. Um, I do see uh, pro, you know, 
proactive security approach, I feel like uh, assessments are becoming more ubiquitous. A lot more people are getting their networks actually tested, um, which is great. Uh, which uh, the driver behind there, or really what that is doing is, is telling me that more people want to be aware of what they have instead of just, I have uh, X number of dollars I need to spend on a security budget, so let's get it. People actually care about what they have so they can remediate it. Um, I think the marrying between uh, MFA and kind of user behavior analytics, user entity behavior analytics, um, or even you know PAM privilege access, access management, um, those three kind of together are um, really kind of the silver bullet right now as I see it. Uh, the ability to tell what your users are doing, verify each step of the way that they are actually that user, especially. Um, you know, I know a lot of people may just use MFA for their VPN or their email, so they're only used to doing it once. But let's say if we created our policies so that when you want to do some sort of privilege action, you have to verify again. Um, and then the ability to take that 10,000 foot view of what all of our users are doing and seeing when that, what they are performing, the actions they're performing deviates from a known baseline. Um, lightens the load on our security teams and gives them the ability to actually respond uh, when something is happening. So um, I know that UBA is kind of a, a reactive, uh, falls into that reactive bucket, but the proactive part of it is, I think we were, to, Keith and I were talking about this yesterday. Uh, there's a ton of tools, everything from endpoint to all your SIMs are shipping some 365 have some sort of user behavior analytics built into them now. So you can actually see what your users are doing and not just have to go through line by line and logs. Right, it's a really good use yeah. of computer learning and yeah. artificial and intelligence. And so I'd say that's less, uh, you know, the proactive part is the industry is pushing that, right? So it's being rolled into everything. And then uh, between MFA uh, and, and privilege access management, it gives us a real way to control uh, what our users can do and verify each step of the way for proactive. Yeah, I think too with, with that is, you know, zero trust is a huge term, right? And um, I think if we were doing a drinking game in DEF CON, we'd probably have to drink right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised I made it through that spiel without yeah. saying zero trust, yeah. but I feel like I should get uh, an award for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. yeah. so I, I, I did it for you. Um, there you go. Yeah, I got yeah, you got a pen. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, but but proactive technologies, right, measures that are being put in place that are foundational elements to the zero trust model or concept, um, we're seeing more of. And, you know, uh, network segmentation mm -hmm. and network visibility, uh, there is a significant investment going on across, across the industry or across the IT space that I've seen um, in network visibility. Uh, even organizations that have had it for some time with some various tool sets are refocused on it and, and looking to, to gain more um, uh, security capabilities right out of watching your network traffic and then also making um, good decisions about segmenting that traffic. Uh, you know, definitely a proactive measure is ensuring that your critical assets are not sitting on the same wire that your dirty assets are sitting on, right? Your more exposed assets. And we've seen that, you know, be regulatory imposed um, in the utility space for a decade, 
now. Maybe um, a different name would be better because zero trust kind of gives this indication of, you know, it's like a I, personal affront. It's kind of like the word cybersecurity. Like we rejected that word. I mean, for a long time until we right. were had to accept until it. we had to accept had it to because accept it. that yeah. So I <laughs> I have been not liking the word zero trust uh, or that trust term but verify for a, a long time because it doesn't. How can you have zero trust? Right. Uh, there's always going to be a trust. You have to trust at some point to get the right. job done. Right. Even the the systems that get developed to provide the zero trust infrastructure have to live in Our a trusted. trusted framework. So anyway, um, <laughs> but that we can have semantic bucket. I can have another <laughs> podcast for that. Um, but uh, network segmentation um, and segmentation in general, I think, is uh, is, a, is something that we're seeing a lot more of. Um, the tool sets that are in place, the EDR tool sets that are in place, allow for it. Uh, we can proactively knock. Um, uh, uh, endpoints off the network if they're seen to, to have malicious um, activity going on on them um, we're, and, and they're still manageable, right? Um, I would say 100% of, uh, of your reputable EDR products have that capability built right into them, host isolation, right? Yep. Um, and so, I, I, again, I think EDR is one that is kind of sneaking up on us but has really uh, turned into a proactive security measure um, because of, of all the different capabilities. Now, what we have seen, unfortunately, we, we've seen a lot of significantly reduced EDR implementations out there um, because uh, of, of the impact that they might have you know, on shops that don't know how to configure them properly, um, you know, if you don't know how to support it with isolation. If you don't have a policy in place that allows you to isolate, you know, we've, we've worked with Clients that they won't, um, they, they, they do not sign off on host isolation policies because they have top tier executives that could never be knocked off their laptop. And, you know, that's obviously frustrating because. <laughs> right. And then, you know, uh, it's not just at the executive level. If you're in healthcare and you have doctors, surgeons, those types, you know, could be critical from a life perspective that, you know, they still have access. So it's, there, right. there's a, a varying degree of, of reasons why that's not acceptable at a business level. Yeah. Right. And there's comp, there are some compensating things that can be done there, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, the old analogy, I think over the last long time was everybody, you know, people would have a, a Windows NT box that had to be on its own network because you can't, I mean, that still happens in SCADA. You still have XP boxes or mm -hmm. old unsupported. Well, it's not just SCADA, yeah. it's the, it's um, But we, we can yeah. do the same thing with our users. Okay, well, you can't be isolated. That means that you are now isolated. <laughs> Chances <Right>. are, uh, <laughs> you, you probably have a 50% chance every time you get an elevator that you're riding something controlled by a Windows XP machine on an isolated network. I'm taking the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. I mean, yeah. it's, we, we have the tools and technology to understand what needs to communicate and how and lock it down to just allowing what it needs. Mitigating controls. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, that comes back to, um, you know, things you can do, right, um, to be proactive. Uh, what do you think? What are things you can do with this follow-up to this being things you can buy? <laughs> <laughs> things you can buy versus things that you can do? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit before, but one of those number one things is 
is actually talking to the end, having that line of communication between leadership and end users, whether that has to roll up between their managers and, but get the thoughts out. I don't care how you do it. Obviously, if you're a leadership and two levels below you is a thousand people, you're not going to be able to shake everybody's hand and talk to them. But there are ways to get their thoughts and how, how what their satisfaction levels are with the controls that you are rolling out. Mm -hmm. um, tracking metrics um, of the KPIs on you, you know, uh, the efficacy of these controls versus uh, what burden they are uh, taking on, on the users. What percentage of your detections are uh, true positives versus false positives? User right? experience yeah. surveys and... Yeah. Uh, I think be between gathering metrics and, and handing out surveys or polling your, your users, uh, you could do a ton for information or intelligence gathering about the efficacy of your program, uh, the eth efficacy of your tool set, and where you probably need to invest more time and energy, not necessarily even dollars, just time and energy into revamping how things are rolled out or what your policies and procedures look like. For me, things that you can do, you know, to pull on, on your thread from the very beginning of, of when we started talking, you know, we all, we all go through security awareness training and it's all this great information, but it's like learning math to learn math. Unless you're using it or unless you can see it and apply it, it doesn't really mean much. It doesn't make that big of an impact. So to have an interactive um, meeting or, or show for your users of just how easy it is to crack a password, show like showing that or a phishing exercise where there's a malicious link and you push the software to their computer over that web link when they click on that. For them to see that process, the attacker and the victim, I think, would be so beneficial because they see, they realize, oh, it's really that easy. Of course, there will be the skeptics, oh, those machines are set up and there's things you can do to, to work around that. But I think that, that, that real life experience of seeing the attack, watching it happen, how quick and easy it happens, I think that would really solidify that training that we're, that we're providing to them on a regular basis. And then on top of it, making sure that that training is current and relevant to, to their roles in the organization and also threats that are, that are currently out there. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna throw one more on the pile. Tag your data. Uh, good one. Yeah, that's it. It's that simple, tag it. Good one. <laughs> Come up with three, three tags. That's it, just start Public, private, simple. confidential. Public, private, confidential. And train your employees on what's, what's confidential. And, and, and how to tag it. And focus on tagging that. And then guess what? Is if you focus on tagging what's confidential, it's really easy to figure out what's not. Yep. Um, uh, <laughs> yep. All right, so things you can buy. Uh, yeah, I think we just named a ton of them. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out, obviously, if you somehow September 2022 do not have multi-factor authentication. Yeah. Um, that is step number one, right? Um, yeah, I think it, let's, let's start there. If you don't have it now uh, and you have any desire to have a, a cyber insurance policy cover you any, at any point in the future, uh, you're going to have to get it. So um, go down that rabbit hole now. 
Um, yeah, I'll just throw that one out and, and you guys can. I, EDR, yeah. you know, another one that we hit on pretty heavy mm -hmm. in this. Yeah, I think those are two pretty um, simple ones. And then I would throw out there, uh, you know, awareness training um, and, uh, and, and looking for more than just, you know, the checkbox type of training, but things that you were talking about, keep, you know, engaging, um, engaging more directly with users and, and having them have real world experiences to, uh, to bring it home. Um, cool. Well, thank you. I think that's all the time we have for today. Uh, for more information, please check out this topic from our, our upcoming blog. Thank you for joining me. Um, I think this was a really interesting discussion. Thank you to all of our viewers. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Araya Insights Podcast. For more information on cybersecurity and other technology topics, check out ArrayaSolutions.com to view our blogs, expert Q&A videos, and other podcast episodes.